I'm Adam Brewer, lead pastor of Glory Fellowship Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. We want to thank you for joining us today. As you listen to this podcast, our hope is that you are challenged and encouraged by God's Word. We know that God's Word gives life, and our hope is that you experience God's abundant life as you listen today. Is He great in your life this morning? While you're standing, take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue Uh, Picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago in our Sermon on the Mount series entitled Kingdom Living. Kingdom Living. If I can't preach this morning, something wrong with me, right? Baptizing uh, my son and then hearing you sing and being able to worship our Lord and the opportunity to share with you today the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 And let's read together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Would you bow your heads this morning and let's ask the Lord to do business with us today, to do business in our hearts, to correct what is out of step in fellowship with him to encourage where we need to be encouraged, and to treasure what we need to treasure. Father, what a day. What a day because it is your day. What a day because it's the day when your people gather together and we get to sing together and we get to encourage one another and we get to feast on the word. God, we get to welcome our guests God, we get to study your word in small groups. We get to proclaim not only to the other people in the world, but we get to proclaim to the powers and principalities of darkness that you are great. That it is because of the mighty cross of Jesus Christ. That's the reason that we are alive. More alive than we ever could have imagined because of what you accomplished for us. God, today as we come to this text, I pray that I'd rightly divide it, that you'd be honored not only in how it's preached, but how it's received, how it's responded to. Lord, we do not want this to be just an academic, intellectual exercise. We do want to engage the mind, but God, we want to engage the soul and the heart, the motivations. So God, we ask that you... Do your work through your spirit and word in our lives that we would leave here transformed people, that we would leave here on mission, that we would leave here with a better understanding of what it is that we ought to treasure. And so, God, I thank you for the few moments that we're going to have together and the opportunity that you've given me to preach your word to your people. Amen. You can be seated. So just as a pick up and an overview, a review of where we've been, 
We've been in the Sermon on the Mount now for a few months, and we see that Jesus is speaking to those who have repented, who have expressed that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and now he is telling them and teaching them what kingdom living looks like. Not only what we do and don't do, but what our motivations ought to be, what our heart attitude ought to be. And so he's been dealing with that and talking about, you know, when you, when the last few verses and the last few examples when it comes to, to almsgiving and prayer and fasting. He said, don't do this so that people can take notice of you and people can applaud you. Rather, go into the quiet place because our motivation for doing what we do ought to be different from the world. And then we come to this text today, and really what we're going to see is if you're with us next week as well, uh, this passage and the one that comes after it, which deals with anxiety and being anxious, they really flow together. They are connected together. And as we'll see hopefully here uh, in the ne- over the next few moments, uh, Jesus is teaching us that our eyes ought to be on him, that he should be the treasure of our life. Jesus calls us to be different from the popular culture. We're to be different from the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, but we're also called to be different from the material life of the irreligious. We're not to be worldly. We're not to be so consumed with the things of this world that it takes our attention and our focus and all of our energy. The spell of materialism in our world is real, and it is thick. And so when Jesus speaks this passage, whether it's speaking to those who were listening in his day some 2,000 years ago, Or if he's speaking to us in our world today, this is a message that needs to be heard and it needs to be received and we need to wrestle with it. And so I want to ask you three questions from the text before us today. Three questions that we are going to seek to answer. Number one, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Number two, how is your spiritual eyesight? How is your spiritual eyesight? And then number three, who is your Lord? And that's the questions, so to speak, that Jesus would have asked. That's exactly what he's speaking on in these few verses that we've read together today. Where is our treasure? How is our spiritual vision, our spiritual eyesight? And then finally, who is our Lord and our master? I would like to deal with that second question first this morning. How is your spiritual eyesight? Of everything that we read this morning, probably, most likely, The two verses that cause the most confusion are verses 22 and 23, where Jesus begins to talk about the eye being the lamp of the body. And he talks about if your eye is good versus if your eye is evil. And I believe that if we can get a little bit of understanding about what Jesus is saying there, it will help us to understand what comes before it and the verse that comes after it a little bit better. And so when Jesus gives this illustration, this this small parable about the eye being the lamp of the body, uh, when you and I think of light, the eyes, we know uh, that, that our eyes give us the ability to receive the light so that we can see what's going on around us. But the way that Jesus is using this illustration here, in the way that he's talking about the eye, he's talking about it in a way that the people of that day would have readily understood. Because in that day, day, uh, the eyes not only had a physical understanding, but there was a spiritual understanding of the eye. From a physical standpoint, you look at these bright lights here and they blind you, right? Okay, they let light in. If my eyes are bad, they don't let light in. But from an understanding of, of a Jew or somebody living in that time, they would have also understood about the evil eye. 
which is the word that Jesus uses here. It's not if your eye is bad in the sense that it doesn't work. He's talking about an evil eye versus a good, righteous eye. And the understanding of that day is, is that if your eye was bad, if it was evil, if your heart was evil, if your soul was so consumed with the things of the world that you didn't understand God, that you didn't understand who Christ was, then that was going to impact every single thing you did, every decision that you would make because your eyesight, your spiritual eyesight was bad. If your eye was good, if it was focused on the things of the Lord, if your heart was consumed with the things of the kingdom, that would direct your steps. And then with a slight nuance, the people of that day would have understood that an evil eye is a covetous eye. The evil eye is an eye that looks at people and looks at the things of this world and says, I want them. That's what I want. And so it's not about the the illustration that Jesus uses is not about the physical eyesight, whether I can see physically or not. It's more about where is my heart? What's my desire? Has my heart been enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God or is it an evil heart, an evil eye so that every decision that I make is influenced by that? So the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, it's a good thing. That means your heart's being directed by God and it's not a constant craving for more, more, more. But if the eye is evil, then everything you look at is through covetousness, the desire to want more and more and more and to accumulate here on earth and to use and abuse people to get what you want. And then Jesus says, even worse than that, it's not just bad to have an evil eye. Even worse than that is to have an evil eye and not know it. To say that I have light, when the light that really is in you is complete darkness. And so Jesus is asking us here as he begins to talk about possessions and treasures, as he begins to talk about our affiliation with the things of this world versus our affiliation with the things of the world to come, which is the kingdom of God. And he is asking asking this question, based on the evidence of where you're laying up treasures and based on the evidence of who your Lord is, does that mean that you have a good, righteous eye, the Holy Spirit working within you, or is it an evil eye? And so it all goes back to the heart, where we stand in relationship with Yahweh, God, the King of Kings. Whether or not he is working in us or whether we have pushed him away and chosen depravity, and deadness instead. And so with that understanding of this little metaphor, this illustration that Jesus gives us, I think it better helps us to understand what comes before it and what comes after it. And so let's look together at what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That covetous, that evil eye. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. There's a danger in laying up treasures on earth. We as a church know this, right? We know that no matter how many uh, security systems that we have here, and no matter how many cameras that we have here, no matter how many times we lock and double check the doors, we know that things can be stolen. We know that a rock, and I'm just speaking by chance, we, we know that a rock could be picked up out back here, thrown through the glass, and that somebody dressed in a Batman outfit, right? 
could walk down this hall and into this worship center and take guitars and a keyboard off the stage, put it back in his car, knowing where our cameras are so that we can't see his face, can't see his tag. And then he would put it in here and he would leave in such a way that he'd be gone before the police arrived. Now that might've just happened here earlier this year. Thieves break in and steal. And regardless of how secure you think things are, they are never fully secure. Anybody ever done, anybody done a yard sale lately? Hosted a yard sale? Anybody moved recently? And in the move, you realize we have got more junk than we ever knew we were going to have. There are certain people in my life, they are here this morning. And we are thankful for that they are here to celebrate Nathan's baptism and to worship with us. And they have moved. And I have been a part of helping them move. And I assure you that they have things that they didn't know that they had. And you know the thing that bothers me? We couldn't throw them away. So when they move again, guess who's going to get to move those things? Thieves break in and steal. Moth and rust. It's this picture of decay. You've heard the expression, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You cannot take things with you. And this is the point that Jesus is getting at here. He says, do not lay up for yourselves. Do not be so engaged and passionate and motivated to lay up things for yourselves here on earth because it's not going to amount to anything. If you're not using it for the kingdom, then it's not going to be a, a amount to anything. Now, now quick question. Is Jesus teaching here that you and I shouldn't work? Is he teaching here that you and I shouldn't have possessions and that possessions are bad? Is he teaching us here that we should not save some for retirement, that we should not give? No, that's not what he's teaching. If you go back to the book of Proverbs, you see that the writer of Proverbs, who uh, we know to be the book of wisdom, teaches us to work, that the ant who stores up for himself and he praises the end. He talks about the ability to save instead of having something that burns a hole in your pocket, okay? And so he's not getting on to us here about saving. He's more speaking to the attitude of our heart. Why are you saving? What's the motivation of your saving? Is it so that you can bless others and bless your local church and give to missions and have the opportunity to, to do God's mission work throughout your life and to bless others who are in need? Or is it so that you can live a life of luxury and a life of comfort and convenience and ease? And Jesus condemns this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Luke chapter 12, a passage that I preached about a year and a half ago here. Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the parable of a man who had a lot of income. And Jesus never got on to the man about the resources he had. He never condemned him for being a man who could make a lot of money. Never, not once. He never condemned him for being a resourceful man. He never got on to the man anywhere in the parable because the man had more stuff than somebody else. He never did that, not one time. But the parable goes that the man was blessed. And the man began to think to himself, build bigger barns, build bigger barns, build bigger barns. And so he did. And he said to himself, soul, Speaking to his soul, you have everything that you need. And the thrust of it, the 2020 translation of it is, go spend it all on yourself. You are filled. And it says that that night, the man's life was required from him. Why? 
Because the man was not thinking about kingdom things. He did not care about other people. He did not care about those who were in his community who were hurting. All he could think about was number one, self. Jesus is condemning us for that kind of thought. He says that is laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. And regardless of how much you have, it will never be enough and it will never satisfy. The writer of Ecclesiastes, chapter five, verse 10, he writes this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity, vanity. Now the word vanity in Ecclesiastes has been interpreted about a thousand different ways. Some people take vanity to say it's meaningless. Some people say vanity is, it's like a vapor. I, I come to the, I've, I've landed where the, the word vanity there means it's transient, it's temporary, okay? It's not that work is bad. It's not that money's bad. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad. It's how we use it and how we look at it. But he's saying here, if you love money, if that's what your heart's desire is, is to have bigger and better and more, then it's vanity because it's temporary and it's not gonna last. Ecclesiastes, in my opinion, would speak to many in our world today. Job reminds us, Job chapter 1 verse 21, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. Isn't that kind of summing up life? No matter how much I accumulate here, I'm not taking it with me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal and moth and rust destroy. Calvin Miller, and he's gone to be with the Lord now. In his book, A Hunger for the Holy he wrote this. He says, an American visitor from a third world country was asked what was the most unforgettable thing that he had seen in the Western world. Without hesitation, the response was the size of your garbage cans. The size of your garbage cans. Now get that into your mind, what this visitor from this third world country was saying. I cannot believe that you have so much stuff that you take for granted, that you waste, that you would throw that much away. Friends, the day is coming for all of us unless the Lord returns before we die. When we lay there on our deathbed and then we stand before Christ, and I assure you that his question to us is not going to be, what was your income? And how much did you save for retirement? And how many houses did you have and boats did you have? He, he's not going to ask that. The question that he's going to ask is, did you care about me? Did you love me? Did you feed those who were hungry? Did you clothe those that were naked? Did you house those who were homeless? Did you encourage those who were depressed and discouraged? Did you, were you busy about the mission that I had entrusted to you to go and make disciples of all nations? Do not lay up treasures on earth, he says, but instead lay up treasures in heaven. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells two parables, short parables, two shortest parables that we have in all four of the Gospels. And they are back to back, and together they take up three verses. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is teaching there, and he says that there was this man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And when he saw the treasure, he went and sold everything that he had in order to purchase that plot of land in which was that treasure. And then he says there was a pearl of great price. 
And when one found it, he went and sold everything that he had in order to purchase that pearl of great value. Now notice here, not one time does Jesus condemn the man in either parable that he had the resources to sell with which to buy the plot of land or the pearl. Did you notice that? He didn't say these folks were bad because they had the money with which to do this. The point that he's teaching here is that in comparison to whatever these folks owned, whatever it is that they had back at home that they went and sold, when they found the treasure, it so consumed them that that was all they could think about. Do you know who that treasure is? That treasure is not the next job. That treasure is not the next retirement account. That treasure is not your next home. That treasure is not the American dream. That treasure is not your next vehicle. That treasure is not the retirement life. That treasure is Jesus Christ. And he's making a point here that ought to speak to all of us. When you and I encounter Christ and we hear his claim and his call on our life, when we sing songs like the mighty cross of Jesus Christ and we see what he purchased and what he did to purchase me, I get to the point where I say, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If you're laying up for yourselves treasures on earth and that's what's motivating you, it means you have an evil eye, an evil heart. John Stott, when he was asked, what does it look like for a person to lay up treasures in heaven? Now, often when I have heard this verse preached or taught or when I've read it, I often think instantly about laying up treasures in heaven. That means giving to the local church. That means giving to missions. That means giving to orphanages. I think all of that is good and right. But I believe that there is more there. And here's what Stott says concerning Jesus' command here about laying up treasure in heaven. He says, it seems to refer to such things as these. The development of Christ-like character. Since all we can take with us to heaven is ourselves. The increase of our faith, hope, and charity Growth in the knowledge of Christ, who we will one day see face to face. The active endeavor by prayer and witnessing to introduce others to Christ so that they too may inherit eternal life. The use of our money for Christian causes, which is the only investment whose dividends are everlasting. So question for us this morning, and I say us because it's just as much a question for me as it is for you who are in this room or in the overflow or watching at home. It's a question that we need to be able to answer with confidence and assurance to wrestle with. And it is this. Am I concerned about my Christian character? Am I really concerned about my kids and my grandkids and that they would come to know Christ as Savior? I was talking with someone this week and I was sharing with them what I was going to preach. And the old adage came up, the old saying, if you want to know where somebody's heart is, you can look at two things, their calendar and their checkbook. Now, I know the checkbook's kind of, that's, that's old school, that's 1900s, right? But you get the picture. Your calendar and your checkbook. If we were to take your iPhone that you have, most of you have here with you this morning, and we could look at your bank account and your spending habits, and we could look at your calendar that's on there and see what it's filled up with. If the person had no idea what you lived for, what conclusion would they come to? If they could be a fly on your shoulder for the next month, what would they say lights your fuse? The things of heaven, Jesus Christ, 
or the things of this world. What would they say is your treasure of infinite value? The thing that you are working yourself to death for? Fame, popularity, being in the in crowd, having a lot of friends, or Christ? What would they say? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I don't know who wrote this, have no idea, but I read it the past couple weeks and it really pricked my soul. It's a very short quote. Listen to this. We always pay dearly for chasing after what is cheap. We always pay dearly for chasing after what is cheap. Now, some of you in your minds, you may have instantly thought about buying something that's a little bit better quality instead of what's cheap. I think the better way for us to look at that is to to say everything of this world is cheap in comparison with Christ. Everything. And friends, I fear that there are many who will stand before the Lord one day and they will realize that they have spent their life and their passions and their time and their talents and their money on things that are cheap and instantly burn up instead of what lasts forever. Adrian Rogers, great pastor who's gone to be with the Lord, he asked this question, are the things that we are living for worthy of Jesus dying for? Are the things that we're living for worthy of Jesus dying for? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then we come to that final question that is really answered by our response to the second question, which is, where is our treasure? And that is, who is our master? Now, I want you to notice what Jesus says here in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, nobody can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Just a thought that came into my mind this week as I was preparing and, and praying through this. And I would love to get down here and walk, but they tell me I can't right now. So, Two things. Trying to serve two masters. Number one, it's impossible. And number two, it's exhausting. It's impossible and exhausting. There are so many folks who have been trained. We have been trained. Been trained by the world, and in some cases we've been trained by the church. That we are our spiritual self on Sunday when we come together with God's people. And then we have our secular self when we're doing everything else. And so I've got the old Adam over here that's preaching on Sunday. And when he's preparing to preach, he's, he's the spiritual Adam. But when he's coaching his boys' basketball teams, he's the secular Adam. And when he's doing work during the week, he's the secular Adam. So that he can talk and preach about love on Sunday because we ought to love one another for people will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. And then we could get in staff meeting and be a totally different Adam where I treat those that I'm supposed to love like garbage and look down upon them. Mm. You've got the spiritual Adam over here that sings the songs of the church on Sunday morning and then uses language that sounds more like a sailor Monday through Saturday. It's the one who gives on Sunday to the work of the kingdom because I'm supposed to pay my dues to the church. What a terrible way of understanding giving. Amen? Can I get an amen? That's terrible. 
It's not your dues that you are given to the church. Your heart ought to be exploding with generosity when you think about how Jesus has been so good to us. And so I've got this spiritual item over here that, that, that gives, and nobody knows what I'm giving, but I am going to give to the Lord, and you know I'm supposed to do that, but I don't seek out any other opportunities to give and bless folks through the rest of my week because this over here is my time. And Jesus is saying it is impossible to serve two masters. And it is exhausting trying to serve two masters. Because you're trying to live for Jesus over here, then you're trying to live for self in the world over here. And when you live for the self in the world, then you get frustrated and feel guilty because you're not living for Jesus. But the more you live for Jesus, the more you want to live for the world. And so you're going back and forth trying to serve two masters. It is impossible and it's exhausting. And so the question that we've got to answer this morning is this, who's our Lord? Who is our Lord? That's one of the things we've been talking with Nathan about. Because frankly, and I hope that this comes across the right way, I don't think God cares whether Nathan uttered a prayer or not and repeated some words. I don't think he cares about that at all because God doesn't look at the outside like we do. Oh, did he walk an aisle in a church? Did he get baptized in the water? All of those are important things, but if that's the motivation, something is totally amiss. We've been talking with Nathan about Jesus is now Lord of your life. What does that mean? That means you do what he tells you to do. That means you pursue him because he's worthy of it. And friends, I believe that the American church, for the most part, is trying to do the impossible, and there's no wonder that we are exhausted and stressed out because the truth is we're trying to serve two masters. We're trying to serve God and mammon. And that's not just money. That's everything that's worldly in nature. And we think that we can get away with it. And God says that is not the case. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Years ago, there was a pastor in Scotland who was grieved by what he perceived to be a lack of generosity in his congregation. And so this is what he said to them. Now, I would never say this to you, but I'm gonna let him say it to you. He says, I am concerned for the poor, but I am more concerned for you. I know not what Christ will say to you in that great day of judgment. I fear that there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally and not grudgingly at all, it requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you that you will be beggars throughout eternity. And the question for us is, are we going to be beggars in eternity? Because Jesus is not our Lord and because we're laying up so many treasures on earth. Because we like the comfortable lifestyle and the convenient lifestyle and the luxurious lifestyle. We like the life of ease. And I don't know whether we covet money more or we covet our time more. But both of them belong to the Lord. The Gettys, who I've often referred to in their songwriting, they wrote this song. My worth is not in what I own, nor in the strength of flesh and bone, 
but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul, and I will trust in Him no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. As summer flowers we fade and die, fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls to us at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. My value has been fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. And I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. Friends, Jesus is that all-consuming treasure that will satisfy your soul. He is the one that will bring you calm and comfort, not ease of life here on earth, but assurance. And you will have hope. And He will redirect us And it's almost like he, and looking at him, will hit the reset button on our souls so that we begin to finally understand that which is everlasting and that which is vanity and temporary so that you and I can live in light of the kingdom of God. You say, Adam, practically, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to begin to lay up treasures in heaven? It begins, moms and dads, with you taking some time each evening or each morning and having family worship with your kids and with your wife or your husband. It begins with starting each day, asking the Lord's favor on your day so that you may honor Him and serve Him wherever it is that you go. Because whether it's in the church house or in the workplace or in the schoolhouse, it's all God's. And we're to serve Him there. It begins by you praying, dads, over your kids. And you say, I don't know how to pray. God will teach you. He knows your heart, and that's what he's concerned with. For you to place your hands on the head of your children. And for you, even if your wife doesn't know it, for you to be praying for her throughout the day. That God would honor her and bless her. It begins by you stopping and saying thank you for what God's doing in your life. And for you and I to understand that what we own is not ours. We are simply stewards of it all because God is the one who owns it all. What does laying up treasures in heaven look like? It means that corporate worship with a local body of believers becomes very high on the priority list. I was speaking to somebody this week and they made the statement... He said, you know, 
We use everything else in our lives as an excuse for not meeting together with God's people. If Jesus was our treasure, then church and meeting together with God's people would be the excuse for us missing everything else. Being here doesn't save us. But being with God's people on a regular basis is a part of our sanctification. It is a part of, part of our growth in grace. And we need each other more desperately than we ever will know. We need what we have here and to hear others singing and to be reminded through song of the truths of what we believe. We need to have the word of God preached. What does laying up treasures in heaven look like? It means going back and looking and asking the question, am I truly generous in my giving of my time and of my money? Am I always too tired to serve with God's people in ministry and mission work? Is there always not enough left over at the end of the month to be able to give extra from what was given as a first fruit offering when I received my work check, my payment. Seeking opportunities and ways to serve and to go beyond. That's laying up treasures in heaven. Praying about folks in your life. We call it our most wanted list. Those three to five people that you've got on a piece of paper or in your Bible somewhere or in your mind that are a burden on your heart because you know that they are lost and without Christ and daily beginning to intercede for them. That's laying up treasures in heaven. Seeking out opportunities to share the good news of Christ wherever they are. That's laying up treasures in heaven. Thinking about the next life more than about this life. That's laying up treasures in heaven. And the dividends and the gains on that which is stored and invested in the kingdom of heaven will never disappoint because God will bless. Can I ask you today, what is your focus? What is your focus? Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? How is your spiritual eyesight? And who is your Lord? Today I want to tell you, Oh, Adam's not perfect and will not be perfect until the day Christ returns. But this I know with all my heart. Jesus is more beautiful and more satisfying than anything this sorry old world can give us. Anything. And it's far better, he's far better than anything this world can offer you as well. Today, do you need to ask him to forgive you of your sins and of your worldliness and for spending so much time and energy laying up treasures on earth and ask him to recalibrate your heart so that you have a desire to sacrificially and joyfully, generously and liberally invest your time and your talents into the kingdom of heaven? It may be that you view your team that you're coaching a little bit differently. And you see them not as players as much as souls. It may be that you view your kids not so much as a group of students that are going to pass by from year to year, but as students who need to know the love of Christ. 
Where is your treasure? Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, what a privilege to call you Lord, Master. Forgive us for when we exhaust ourselves with the impossibility of trying to live in two different worlds and be two different people and have two different masters at the same time. God, if we're going to be worldly, let us come out and declare that, that, that we are going to be, we're going to pledge our allegiance to the things of this world. We're going to pledge our allegiance to politics. We're going to pledge our allegiance to money. We're going to pledge our allegiance to our jobs. May we be very vocal in that so that we know where we stand. But God, if you have called us, may we boldly and lovingly declare our allegiance to you our God, our Savior, and our Lord. I pray that this week that there are folks who would find Jesus to be the treasure that is so valuable and eternal that we would go and be willing to sell every single thing that we have, that we'd be willing to go through our calendars so that we can seek opportunities to pray and to serve and to minister that we would go through our budgets to see where we can cut out so that we can give more to the work of the kingdom so that people may be saved. God, may we be faithful kingdom citizens living in a world that needs to be fully redeemed. And may you be honored with with how we live as salt and light in this world. May you be glorified in how we respond today. Amen. We want to thank you for listening to this message and the podcast today. Uh, We hope that you were encouraged and edified by the message. If you have questions, we encourage you to visit us at gloryfellowship.org.